0: Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Well, good morning. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Daniel? We'll look at Daniel chapter 6 this morning. Um, I think it's good every once in a while to change things up so that you don't fall in a rut and you maybe, like, maybe you just came in and you're like, wow, we're already getting the sermon. Is he going to preach that long? Um, Maybe, maybe, uh, but uh, we want to respond this morning to our passage, and uh, one of the ways that we can respond is through our worship, and so um, set up this morning in our worship time together purposefully so that as we come to the text now um, and then then view it and see it, that then as we worship and sing together, that it would strengthen our faith um, and we would respond to the word. Daniel chapter six, our last easy chapter. All right. And, uh, in a couple weeks we'll hit chapter seven and, uh, excited about that. But Daniel chapter six, it's a chapter that most will hear early on inside of the church. If you came to church as a child, you probably heard this story. One of the first stories along with Noah's Ark, uh, and David and Goliath comes Daniel and the lion's den. And while it can become something so familiar to us, uh, I pray and hope that as we look at the text this morning, that it will once again strengthen our faith as we dig a little deeper, as we look at it uh, a little bit more in depth, as we dig in the word and ask the Lord to uncover it for us. So if you have your text with you, uh, it'll be up on the screen. I would encourage you, if you would, follow along with me and uh we're going to read Daniel chapter 6 and let me again ask if you would would you stand with me as we read this morning Daniel chapter 6 It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. No error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction. That whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house. Uh, where he had windows in his upper chamber up open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to his God, and he had, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man Within 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. And the king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, When Daniel was brought to the cast and cast into the den of lions, the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at daybreak, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish, The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. No kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and all those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, the nations, the language, languages that dwell on all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and to fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. May God has blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Isn't God's word awesome? It's cool, right? I think this is a great thing to be able to open up the word of God and just read it. Sometimes I feel like I just read it and I can just sit down and uh you just listen and uh God's word is that active and that powerful. We come to Daniel 6 here and uh, there's a lot of debate about names here. And so when you look at it the our text starts off in verse 1 and it says it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. Um it's funny because I once preached a message uh at a Christian school down in Columbus uh, one of my my college buddies was a teacher down there, and he had me come down and teach. And I took my mom along with me. And I was early on in youth ministry, and uh, I preached this passage. And uh, and mom and I were heading back home. And I said, Mom, what what are your observations? What do you think? And she's like, Well, I got a few, as every good mom will have. And uh, and she said, You you mispronounced or you missaid a word over and over and over again. I imagine that. Can you imagine that? Those of you who know me, I mean, it was such a shocking thing. It really became the highlight of what now has transpired after all these years. And she said, you kept saying sand traps. <laughs> it's not sand traps, Aaron. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. It's not. So it's say traps. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. And, and meaning that, their meaning is protector of the kingdom. That's that's really their role. That's what their term is kind of defined as as the protector of the kingdom. But just as you ever go and read it, uh, don't it's not sand traps. Okay. Um, when we come to the text here, these leaders, all right, the protectors of the kingdom have been set up, and so there's 120 of them. Again, this is a broad nation now that has overtaken Babylon. And and as they have overtaken them, um, Darius is setting up his leadership. And so he sets over the land 120 uh, of these protectors of the kingdom. And then the next verse tells us that there are three that will be over them who will make sure that they're doing what they need to do. So it's almost like these 120 were governors that were sent out who were in charge of certain areas. And had certain responsibilities. And then they would report back to the three um, that were probably there in Babylon. Um, and so we see Darius is here. Uh, he is the king. The debate is who is this Darius? I am not going to take time this morning to go into it all, all right? Because I think ultimately, I don't think it matters a whole lot, all right? I think it, it's good for you to dig in. And so let me encourage you, you come up with who you think this Darius is. There's lots of different options. One of the options is that this Darius is the same as what we see. If you look at verse 28, the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. There are some who believe that Darius and Cyrus are the same person. And the reason why Daniel is specifically calling him Darius, it's more of a title And he talks about that because he is from the Mede or his mother's ancestor background is a Mede. And that fits with the text later on. We'll get into that in a minute uh, where we see in other Old Testament texts that the Medes are going to come and overtake Babylon, all right, the Babylonians. There's another thought that these are two individual unique men and they are ruling together. All right. Again, I'll let you wrestle through it. I think for our text and our purpose of walking through this today, uh, we're not going to be like a dorm room that I enjoyed in college, that we would stay up until three o'clock and debate, you know, really important things that really weren't that important. All right. We're not going to do that this morning. Uh, But I do want to highlight and let you know that there are great theologians who really differ on this. I mean, great men and women of God who who will look at this a little bit different and it's important for you to know and understand what you believe in the text. This much I know is true. And we talked about this with Bel- Belshazzar, the king. Don't disregard the Bible. Don't think for a second that Daniel made an error. He didn't make an error. He didn't make a mistake. Just as uh, great historians didn't, didn't ever see inscriptions of this King Belshazzar until later the archaeological dig and they they find uh, upon some of these, these clay objects, these spheres, that now look, King Belshazzar, isn't that amazing? Don't disregard the text. Don't ever believe that, that this text has error in it. It doesn't. So when Daniel says Darius, he's writing it for a purpose. All right. Could it be the same man? Maybe it is. Uh, Maybe it isn't. You wrestle with that. We're going to treat him as a unique individual, mainly because of what we're going to look at in chapters to come. Okay. That's where I stand. You, you wrestle with yourself mainly because as we walk through the next few chapters, Daniel is going to use each name differently. As he starts each chapter. Let's continue to walk through this. So King Darius, he's there. All right. Um, And the purpose of this leadership is is at the end of verse 2. It says, so that the king might suffer no loss. So the purpose of these leaders was to be overseers. So that the king would continue to succeed. Remember, I talked a little bit last week about... the the paranoia that goes on with those who are ruling over the nation. And as you think about this, word probably had gotten around, all right, to the Medes and to the Persians about what took place among the Babylonians. And one brother killing another brother and all this inner fighting and inner killing, the leader needed to make sure somebody had his back. And as we walk through this text... Verse 3 says, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials in the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So while there was three and then there was 120, actually what our text tells us is that the king is planning to elevate Daniel that he would oversee the other two and everyone else because he had an excellent spirit amongst them. Now how do you define that excellent spirit? Daniel doesn't tell us what that looks like exactly, but we will see from our text and we see from actually the whole book, a little bit about this spirit that is amongst Daniel. We're going to talk about that at the very end today, but there is something different about Daniel. The King even saw it and he knew he could trust Daniel. And so in light of that, what takes place? So even though the King trusted him, jealousy arises, right? And so we see that in verse 4, the high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for a complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaining or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. And it says in verse 5 that these men said we shall not find any grounds for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So they knew as they started to examine who this guy was, Daniel, which by the way, he's roughly about 80 years old at this point. Okay. So he's not young. He's not some young whippersnapper. He's 80 years old. And for those of you who are 80 and above, you're well seasoned. I love you. I appreciate you. You are so valuable. Look in the text. God is using an 80 year old. God is not done with you. No matter what your age is. Daniel's here. Those other jealous leaders are trying to find fault in him. They can't find any. And so they go to the one thing that they're going to try to manipulate. They're going to try to manipulate his faith. All right. And so we see this, this jealousy that has arisen. They need to find a fault. They can't find a fault. And so now they're going to talk about his relationship with God. Some would define this as a religion. They're going to find some fault against his religion. Don't ever call it that. What we live each and every day is not a religion. If it is a religion, it's just a bunch of things that you have to do. It's a list of laws, of commands that you have to do or not do. No, it should be about a relationship. It's about a relationship with Jesus each and every day. It's not a religion. It's a relationship, and we see that. So this isn't about a religion. It's actually they're going to attack his relationship with God. And so we see that very personal attack will be here. So then they make up this plan, verses six through nine, where they're going to come to the king. And let's let's look at what they what they agree upon. It says these high officials, verse six, uh, and satraps came to the agreement. All right, this is a group of people uh, came coming together. All right, they come together. Of one mind to the king and say, oh, King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance. Let me just pause there for a second. What's interesting is jealousy always causes us to exaggerate. All right. If you think about that for a second, uh, that's what takes place. Now, they're starting this conversation with the king and just saying, hey, king, we just want to let you know that. Everybody, all your leaders have all come to an agreement. Have they? Have all of them? No, we know there's at least one, right? There may be, and we don't know where Daniel's three friends are at this point, all right? We're not told, but maybe there's four leaders in the whole nation that doesn't agree upon this. But jealousy causes us to exaggerate. And so we see that in this text. And so they come up with this plan. Let's make this petition, this ordinance. We think you should enforce an injunction to sign a document, king, that says this, that, you, that no one can make a petition to any god but accept to you for 30 days. And if they do, we're going to throw them in the lion's den. Now, we need to be careful as we read the text here. What is King Darius agreeing to? He's not agreeing to that he's the God or that he is God. Some people will read that or know the story as that. That's not what the text is telling us. Actually, Daniel tells us that this decree is about the petition, about the interceding person that is going to go to the gods on behalf of the people. So the people were supposed to make their petitions to King Darius and then he would spread to the gods their request for 30 days. And so when we see that this is the petition, it helps us to see as Daniel goes to make his petition or his prayers, who is he going to? I think there's a difference as we look at King Darius is not saying that he's God. What he is saying is he's agreeing to is that you must come through me. You must make your petitions through me. And then I will let the gods know of the land. Well, he agrees to it. I can understand the king and his power. All right. This agreement, though, was to be signed. Verse 8 says, is establish the injunction and sign the doc- document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Ultimately, when something was agreed upon in this time, and you can, again, do more study and, 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 and research this, when you look at the law of the Medes and Persians, and it's even a saying that's been used years later, it, it cannot be revoked, meaning it, once it's in place, it cannot be changed. And we're going to see in a little bit, King Darius is distraught and he wants to change it, but he realizes he can't find any loophole to get out of this. And so once this document is signed and sealed, it has to be delivered. And so he signs it, he seals it. Verse 10, Daniel knew that the document had been signed. So Daniel is going to go and he's going to start live, continue to live his life. Not not that he doesn't know what's going on. He's oblivious to it. No, he knows fully what has transpired and what is taking place. And so his actions that are going to follow here are purposeful and with intent. He's not doing it sloppily. He's not doing it to get in the face of them. No, he is purposeful. And he is intent on why he will do what he's going to do. So the text tells us when Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber up open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks to God as he had done previously. Don't get hung up on the three times. Don't get hung up facing Jerusalem while, while you can do some study and, and, and come to some understanding there of why those times and why that direction is, is important, Solomon talks about the Jerusalem aspect and facing it. Uh, so you can do some research there. The three times a day, um, we see countless times throughout the text of the Bible. Don't get hung up on that. What Daniel is trying to help us to see here is that he was, again, intentional and he was purposeful That his faith was going to continue. He wasn't going to change the way that he was living his life. As he continues, he is in this upper chamber. Oftentimes this is the the roof of a house that is surrounded by lattice. And so you would be able to see through this. You can even see some of those uh, same homes there today in the Middle East. And so as Daniel goes to the top of his house, the upper chamber, and he goes and he prays, what does he pray? Verse 10 tells us, he got down on his knees three times and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Again, this isn't something new. Daniel continues in his relationship with his God. As he continues, verse 12, then they came near And said before the king concerning the injunction. Well, verse 11. um, Then then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Essentially, they were sneaking around, trying to spy on Daniel. And sure enough, they find out he's doing this. They know he's been doing it. They want to sneak around and see if he's continuing. And sure enough, he has. And so verse 12 says, Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction. O king. Did you not sign the injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing stands fast, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before him, Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Notice how their argument unfolds. Hey, king. Didn't you make a law? Didn't you write into law like we were only supposed to come to you, like with our petitions? Oh, yes. Why do you ask? Well, you know, there's this guy. His name is Daniel. Notice what the text tells us, though. It's the same phrase that we see in the chapter before when Belshazzar is introduced to Daniel after the mother queen suggests that that Belshazzar asks Daniel for insight. Belshazzar tries to put Daniel in his place so that he understands who he is. These characters are trying to put Daniel in his right place by this phrase. This is not an enduring phrase. This is not a phrase that That lifts Daniel up. No, it is purposeful in tearing Daniel down. And that's what jealousy does. Jealousy continues to tear people down. They answered and said to the king, Daniel, who is one one of the exiles from Judah. One of the exiles from Judah. It's the same thing that we see in chapter 5, verse 13. Underline both of those phrases and draw an arrow together. They're important for our text because here is Daniel, and who does he represent? He represents the God of Judah. And yet it could be seen as Daniel's God's inferior to all the other gods because this land and these people have been defeated. King, remember who you are. You're greater. And this little lowlife, he's just an old man. He's an old fuddy-duddy. Realize who this guy is, king, and listen, he pays no attention to you. So they embellish, jealousy embellishes. So let's create more of a story than what the truth is. Does Daniel pay no attention to the king? No, the king is going to make him head over these other two. The king likes Daniel, And so these guys out of jealousy bring them to him. And they're like, hey, this guy pays no attention to you, king. Or to the injunction that you have signed. But he continues to make his petition. Not to you, king. But he makes his petition to his God. So they are fulfilling what they set out to do. To attack Daniel at his very character and his relationship with his God. Verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words. Was greatly upset, right? No, he wasn't upset. And actually, the term here means distressed. He was distraught. He was heartbroken. Unlike Nebuchadnezzar, when the three, uh, Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, appear and they won't bow down to the, the statue, he continues to be enraged. No, King Darius here, actually, he's heartbroken. He's so heartbroken that the text tells us he set his mind to deliver Daniel and he labored until the sun went down to rescue him. Uh, I believe part of the law of the land at that time was to execute whatever the truth was. So if the law meant that you were going to be thrown at lion's den, you, you had till sundown to, to do that, to execute that. And once sundown came, that was the law and you had to execute it but King Darius and he was at a distraught place and he's at this place where now his hands are bound. He has to do this because the law can't change and he's looking for a way out. And it says it took him all day to try to find that. And yet he couldn't find a way. So verse 15, then these men came by agreement to the king at sundown and said to the king, "Know, O king, that it is the law the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes shall so be changed. Hey King, we just want to remind you that this is the law and you have to fulfill it. And so the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, his declare was one of hope. He says, may, may your God whom you serve continually Deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of, de- of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Pretty cool about this when I read a little bit more. Um, a custom at this time is when they would seal a rock over an opening, um, they would take the rock and seal it, and then they would put a chain uh, in that opening, and then they would use clay. And patch over that and then when they were ready to unseal it they would rip the chain off which would take the rock or the clay that had hardened and they would know if somebody had broken that seal or not so they take the chain they put the clay on it he stamps it with his rings along with his other leaders to say listen nobody better mess with this and so it's not like somebody's coming in It reminds me of a story in the New Testament you know that story It's where Jesus, the son of God, was laid into a tomb. And that tomb was sealed so that nobody would mess with him. Pretty cool how God works, isn't it? Here we see the king as he signs this and he returns to his palace. He spends the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him. This term here is only used one other time in the Old Testament. So it's hard to know exactly exactly whether it means entertainment or other things, the king didn't do his normal things. That's the purpose of it. And he spent the night fasting. Fasting is equated in the Old Testament with prayer. And so he's praying. Now, to whose God we don't know? At this point, I think he's just so distraught. He's fasting and he's praying and he's just asking for any God to help him out. He is so distraught It says the text tells us that sleep fled from him. It's almost like he's laying in bed, and if sleep could be a person, it ran away. (laughs) Ever have those nights? What's awesome is we see this this king, and it's it's such a comparison of what agonizing, uh, distraught pain he is walking through. And then we're going to see here the picture of Daniel and the one who places their faith in God and where he's at. You would think the guy who's getting thrown into the lion's den that would be in the lions would be the one who's so distraught. That's not what our text tells us. It's it's an awesome comparison when you start looking at it. And when you see this, it says, as soon as the morning came... The break of dawn, the king rises and he goes in haste to the den of lions. As he comes near to the den where Daniel was, he cries out in a tone of anguish. Again, this king was trapped in what he proclaimed because it's killing the one that he trusted the most. The one that he thought would have his back. So he wouldn't be the culprit of an assassination. And yet... He was tricked into this. And we are going to know that here in just a moment. He comes running to the lion's den. And he says this. The king declares to Daniel. Oh, Daniel. Servant of the living God. Isn't it amazing if we just stop and pause there. The phrase that King Darius uses. Servant of the living God. What's cool is we've already seen this phrase used multiple times. I believe if you look at history and you look at how Daniel and how God was continually using Daniel in the lives of these kings. I believe King Darius knew this phrase of the living God, not only because he had heard the stories of Nebuchadnezzar, but because Daniel told him about the living God. How else could you, how else could you explain this? Daniel had to firsthand experience and shown Darius who this living God is. And has he shared about him, these other leadership didn't like that King Darius and Daniel were becoming buddy and buddy. So their jealousy flared and they're like, let's get rid of this guy. And so here is the king. Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God. Here's the cry. Has your God Has he delivered you? Just as he told Daniel as he's throwing him into the den, there's this prayer of hope. May your God protect you. May your God whom you serve deliver you. Here's this calling out. It's this cliffhanger. He's on the edge. Listen, is your God there? Has he delivered you? Verse 21. The climax, then Daniel said to the king, "O king live forever. My God. Daniel's like, this is my God. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm king. I didn't do you wrong. And my God is witness and testimony of that. I love this. What a picture that was. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I believe, got to spend some time in the furnace with Jesus. Really, really cool. That's why the king, I believe, had to pull them out. All right? They were okay being in there, which would be awesome with me, too. Here, Daniel gives testimony that there's an angel. God sends an angel. To close the lion's mouth and to keep them from harming him. So it's not like they're clawing and pawing at him. But what's cool is I'm wondering, like, did the angels stay there and have a conversation all night with Daniel? That would have been pretty cool. I don't know if that happened or not. Text doesn't tell us. I don't want to embellish it. But isn't it pretty cool when we look at these four characters in this book? how God's presence became so real to them as they walked by faith. Don't think for a minute that God's presence can't be real in your life. Now, Jesus may not show up at your doorstep. He may not send an angel to sit with you at night, but that should not lessen the fact that the spirit of the living God is living inside of those who follow and trust Jesus. Isn't that awesome? So verse 23, then the king was exceedingly glad. I love this phrase. It's almost like he was happy. No, he wasn't happy. He was really happy. Exceedingly glad. He wasn't just glad. He was exceedingly. It was, he was overwhelmed. Talk like me. Make up words. It was like the bestest in the world. He was exceedingly glad, and he commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him. Just as his three friends, there was nothing that they could find. Didn't even smell like smoke. There couldn't be found anything. There wasn't even uh, a fabric on on his garment that was like maybe just snagged on the, uh, just a claw of the lion, you know, like you do with your little kitties. Sometimes can do that. I don't have a kitty. I'll give you my opinion among cats another day, but (laughs) please, I hope, hope, you know, I love you. He, he takes Daniel out. The king takes Daniel out. No harm is found. Why? Because he had trusted in his God. Verse 24. And the king commanded and those who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the lion's den. The king saw these men for who they really were. Jealousy will always catch up to you and you will be seen for who you really are. Don't let jealousy rule your life. I just want to let you know jealousy wouldn't even, wasn't even in my notes. All right. God just brought that. So if you're wrestling with that this morning, maybe that's for you. Just be encouraged. God sees you. He knows you. He's taking care of you. Don't be jealous about somebody else. So these men were thrown in, thrown back into the den of lions. It says, the text says they, their children and their wives. Some people, uh, and I think this is cruel too. Don't get me wrong. Like, yeah, this is painful throwing women and children into a den of lions. Why for chance would King Darius be doing this? Well, again, remember the time, remember what's going on. All right. The king has to watch his back because at every turn, somebody's trying to take his spot. Somebody's trying to rule in his place. And so one of these leaders, one of their sons could rise up later and say, hey, king, you did this to my dad. And he wants to squelch that. And he's taking care of it. So these families, and I don't think it's all of the leadership here as they... Uh, embellished. Remember they embellished earlier, hey, we're all in agreement here. No, it was the plan probably of these two other men with maybe a few other satraps. Them and their families are all thrown in. See, jealousy does have its effect on others close around us too. So they're thrown in and awesome how Daniel describes this. Before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all of their bones in pieces. It it wasn't like these lions had some deficiency in them and that's why they didn't eat Daniel. Okay? It wasn't like they were like, oh, they weren't hungry that day. Wait till they throw these guys in. Oh, no, it's the same day. All right? And so it was truly... A wonder and a sign that King Darius is going to talk about here in just a moment. So verse 25, King Darius writes to his whole, the whole nation, and he wants to proclaim to them what has transpired. So all the people, all the nations, all the languages that dwell on the earth, he wants them to hear. He says, peace be multiplied to you. Verse 26, I make a decree that in my royal dominion, people are to tremble and to fear before the God of Daniel. Let me pause just for one moment. In our text today, we never see Daniel's Babylonian name. He's always referred with one name, Daniel. It's the only chapter in these first six chapters where it's, that's the case. Interesting. All right. The God who saves the God who provides here is Daniel. Fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. We see that phrase again. Enduring forever, and his kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. What I want you to do, if you have it there in your text, I would encourage you right next to that, put Daniel 4, 34 and 35. This is, this is a decree that King Nebuchadnezzar, very similar in Nebuchadnezzar's decree, as he's letting the nation know Who is this God of Daniel? It's almost the same wording. Then we go to the next phrase. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Put Daniel 4, 3. That's that's Nebuchadnezzar's uh, beginning doxology. As he talks about how he has seen and witnessed the signs and wonders of Daniel's God. And then he uses this last phrase so that people may know of what has transpired as they hear the story go out. That he who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. You should fear this God should tremble before this God for he is the living God. He endures forever and it's about his kingdom, meaning he is over even King Darius, even Cyrus, the king. There is one who rules over them. This would have been important not only for what is those who would have gotten this letter, but that's critical, important for the Jewish nation as they are hearing this and reading this as being proclaimed that they would once again be reminded that God is in charge of all nations. And while they have been thrust into captivity, and their exiles and as they return and are coming back in even facing continual struggles and problems that God is in control of all the nations and his kingdom is worthy to be had faith in our last verse here it says so daniel prospered during the reign of darius and the reign of cyrus the persian darius has already been described as the mede and we talked a little bit about that already and the mede Looking in my notes here so I can give you the text. Jeremiah 51, verse 11 and verse 28, and Isaiah 13, verse 17. The reason why I give you those texts is because Darius the Mede was to receive the kingdom. All right? He received this kingdom. It's in a, a passive in chapter 5, verse 31. We see that. It's a passive because it's the God who is the living God whose kingdom will forever reign is the one who gives uh, King Darius the kingdom. And it's important that it's the Medes because why? Because the scriptures have already foretold what's coming. So why is Isaiah 13:17 and Jeremiah 51:11 and verse 28 important? Because God said it was going to be this way. And sure enough, you know what happened? It became that way that should strengthen our faith. That's what prophecy should do as we see prophecy fulfilled. So God had delivered Daniel. And as Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, that can be described in one of two ways. Either Daniel is already talking about, Hey, I've already talked about uh, Darius. And so I'm going to mention Cyrus too, or maybe it's the same and combining them and the way the wording goes it would not it would fit easily with the way daniel has been writing and so bringing them together to be one person is not out of line here again you spend the time you debate it you think through it you study it three questions for us today all right number 1 how's my spirit how's my spirit daniel's spirit was excellent all right He was one, and it would be summed up in this word, he was one who lived in integrity. He had a life of integrity. That word integrity, when I looked up in Webster's like 1828 edition, it it means wholeness or a complete. It's something that our world desperately needs to see. Not that we are perfect people. We never get a record of Daniel's wrongs, of his sin. But I don't believe he was perfect. The highlight of Daniel is his faith and his integrity. He knew he needed God. That's why he continually came to God. When we live our lives, we're looking and need to pursue this completeness. Not so that we fill up a bunch of rules or laws or things that we do to make ourselves better. No, we live a life of integrity because it shows what our spirit is all about. It shows where our faith is. It shows what is truth. Daniel lived a life of truth, and it was shown to all. And King Darius saw that. There was something different about him. Has everybody, anybody ever said that about you? There's something different about you. Now, people have said that about me in some different ways, but... I am different. I know that. That's a good thing. We're all different. But there's something special. What is it? That we can have joy. That we can have peace. That we can have the fullness of God that indwells in each one of us. That As we live life, we're seeking him and always seeking to do what pleases him, not what pleases me. That's the kind of spirit that needs to be in us. And I think it's summed up in integrity. How do you use your time when you're working? Are you working? Are you playing games You taking stuff from the office? Are you thief? You steal when you're giving extra change as you're checking out. Do you seek to make it right? Or are you just going to keep it their mistake? A life of integrity says, I want to do what's right every time. And sometimes we get it wrong and that's where the grace of God comes, but we shouldn't seek to do what's wrong for our own benefit. Knowing that the grace of God is there as a backup. A life of integrity means that I'm looking to do what's right every time. Not so that I can earn my way to heaven. No. We can't earn our way to heaven. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's only acknowledging that his death, burial, on resurrection is sufficient for me to have salvation. That, that what took place upon the cross, Jesus' death... His burial and his resurrection allowed me to be bought, to be purchased from the slave market that I was stuck in and that I was unable to get out of. It's not about what I can do. Integrity says, I owe my life to God because of what Jesus did. He's the best. And I know he wants the best for my life. So what kind of spirit do you have? How's your spirit? Is it one of excellence? Like Daniel's? Number two, what do my convictions and commitment look like? What do my convictions and my commitment look like? Daniel was not ashamed, nor would he compromise. Now, let me be very careful here. We see in the text where Daniel was not willing to compromise. And ultimately, it came down to not certain things of society, no, Daniel was not going to compromise coming and spending time with his Lord. That was his line, very clear. Just as Shadrach Meshach said, we will not bow down and we are not going to worship this this false god, this idol here. Ultimately, as we walk through this life here on this earth, If something compromises our walk with Jesus, we have failed. We have failed in our commitment. I am not going to stand here and tell you all the different things that you should or should not do. That comes through reading and studying the word of God and through walking with Jesus. Surrounding yourself with good and godly counsel. That isn't going to make it about legalism. Nor is it going to make it about freedom to do whatever you want to do. No, you need to get your conviction and your commitment from the word of God. Can I hear an amen? Do you agree with that? Don't make the text say something it doesn't say. Read it. Study it. Follow it. The world is turning more and more secular all around us. We have to take a stand. You and me, as we seek to live a life of integrity, there may be times where we say, I can't do that, or I won't do that, or I have to continue to do this. What's your convictions and commitments say about you? Number three. Where's my trust? This is the, the, the polar opposites, right? Darius, just struggling, wrestling, anguish, can't even sleep. Daniel, totally at peace. This guy, man, he's hanging out with the angel. Where's your trust? I love the context of Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28, I believe, is misused greatly, by the way. Um, but I do believe it's an important and, and, and critical verse for us. As followers of Jesus Christ, for those who seek him and seek to obey him. As we look at that, the context is in our weakness, we plead for God's help. In our weakness, in our struggling, in those times where our convictions and, and, and our, our commitments when they, when, we, when they come head to head and we're faced with oppositions in times of trials and hardships, that in face of even those weaknesses, that our God says, all things work together for good to those who love him, to those who are committed according to his purpose. Not mine, not yours. So when we trust God, part of that trust is living and obeying him and and meeting with him and being with him. But part of that trust is where we just say, Lord, I need your help. Would you show up? Will you help me to see that this is good? And even when we can't see that it is good, that we would still proclaim and say, God, I know it's good because you tell it to me. And because I'm trying to trust you more and more every day. Daniel, roughly at the age of 80, he's experienced a lot, gone through a lot, and we see his trust in God is real. It's not just something that's said. It's not just lip service. It's not just showing up for service on a Sunday morning. No, Daniel's faith is real, and he truly trusts God with his life. What about you? Where's your trust? Would you pray with me, Lord? Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to open it this morning. Lord, to dig in and just realize while this is a well-known story, Lord, Daniel and the lion's den, how you provided, how you, how you overcame these lions, how Daniel was saved. Lord, truth is there for us and I pray that you would help us to live it out. Lord as we walk through life that we would have the faith and the strength to trust you to walk obediently with you to make you a priority of our faith and that as we place you priority we would continue to to live by the convictions and the commitment to your truth. Help us to do that, Lord. We can't do that on our own. We need your spirit to continue to guide us and to lead us. And so, Lord, as we sing in response to your word, may you be glorified as we proclaim what kind of God you are and how awesome you show up, not only in Daniel's life, but in our lives as well. May you be glorified. May you be praised. May you be adored as we sing to you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.